Hello, I want to help you with your Christmas plans here at First Christian Church. Two things. First of all, we've had a long-term relationship with Parsons Elementary School for more than a decade now. We help them out at Christmas time. This is how you can participate in that helping. You take an ornament from one of the trees behind me. They're in the lobby of the church. Then you fill up a shoebox that looks something like this, full of the stuff that's mentioned right here. This gives you some suggestions and some instructions. And you make certain it's back to the church by December 3rd. Parsons Christmas Project. We'll be glad if you'd participate in that. There are still some ornaments left on the trees that you have to move quickly this weekend. Secondly, Christmas services are coming. This year, Christmas Eve lands on a Sunday, which is a challenge for us as a congregation. When do you provide Christmas Eve services since we are a congregation that has multiple rooms and multiple services? So here's how it's gonna be. One worship event is gonna occur on a number of occasions, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. So the 23rd, the 24th, there'll be a number of services. You can see when they're listed, but be aware of this or be, be more mindful of this. All the services are exactly the same, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. There'll be tickets available so we can, as a whole congregation, make certain that we spread ourselves out in various services, leaving lots of room for guests. Again, remember, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, all the services are the same. I can hardly wait to celebrate the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ, with you on that great Christmas weekend coming up. <laughs> Welcome. I was, pl I was planning that you'd be here all this time. <laughs> Sorry. Forgot to put my mic on. It's good to have you with us today. Welcome to First Christian Church again. If, uh, if you're a guest with us today, let me introduce myself. I'm really more coordinated than the way I just looked. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral staff. We're going to look at Scripture together today. I'd invite you to take your Bible, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, notice here in the West Auditorium, they're in the pew rack. In the East Auditorium, we're very glad you're with us as well. And you'll see there's some people moving around the room right now with Bibles. Matthew chapter 11. If you don't own a Bible, take that home as our gift to you. And seriously, it happens every weekend. Every weekend, we, we see some Bibles go from this building to people's homes. And that's always good news, all right? As we begin to look at Scripture, before we do, uh, something really cool happened in the life of our church last week. We had a baby dedication. We had a dozen little children uh, presented to, to the Lord by their parents. And uh, can you congratulate their parents for such a great event? Those parents, it's a, we call it a baby dedication, but it's really parents dedicating themselves to say, we're going to raise this child to know Jesus and uh, do all we can to answer the right and the real and all the good questions that children have. So uh, it thought, we thought it would be appropriate if we would pray for them as we uh, think about those kids. All right? So let's pray. Lord, thank you for... Uh, I thank you, God, that we're a congregation that is... Um, well, we're just overwhelmed with your blessings in the lives of little babies that come our way. It's good stuff. And uh, in that light, Lord, we pray for those parents who, in prayer, br brought those children to you this past week and said thank you for the gift of that baby. We pray, God, that those parents would know how to raise that child to follow you and to know Jesus Christ, and that at the right moments they'll answer the questions that, will, that should come up legitimately from little ones. May those children, Lord, be full of your blessings. We, we ask that your grace and peace would follow them all the days of their lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 11 today, and as we do so, I'd like to begin by asking you to take a look at a photo that's of the ancient village of Capernaum. Capernaum is featured a lot in Scripture. Capernaum was the hometown of a number of people who are mentioned in Scripture, particularly four of Jesus' uh, earliest disciples. Peter and Andrew, James and John all came from the village of Capernaum. It's a very small village. It's probably maybe a half mile square, if that much. You can literally walk from one side to the other very quickly. There's a structure inside the, the village. If you look on the upper left-hand side, uh, there's a building there that's in the shape of an octagon. That building covers... Uh, the original spot where Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, we have biblical record that that's his house. Not just biblical record, pardon me, we have historical record that that is where Peter lived as a young boy and as a man. And uh, the, the historical record goes all the way back to 50 AD. In other words, within 10 to 20 years of Jesus' life and death and ministry uh, and, and his resurrection, you have the earliest Christians saying, almost um, not venerating the place, but marking the place as a, point, a, a place of significance and saying, this is where Peter, by that time the leader in the church, this is where he, was, uh, where he had his home. So it's quite significant that that far back and that closely tied to Jesus' days is a place where we say, okay, that's where scripture and history come together. Now, the church that's, that building that's built on top of it is a church that was built in the 1990s. And as you visit that church, you, you, in the very center of the church, there's a, a fenced off area and there's glass in the floor there that you can look down through the glass and see some of the ruins. And some of you are asking, well, that's lovely, Wayne, but what's that got to do with Matthew 11? I came here to look at scripture. I didn't want a, a lesson on, on uh, archaeology. Well, if you read with me Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 28, it's all, this is about Capernaum in many ways. So let's read with me beginning in verse 28. It says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're going, well, I don't see anything about an ancient village there. There's nothing there. I, 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 see, I see myself being described, weary and burdened. That's a lovely sentiment, but I, beyond that, I don't see Capernaum. And besides which, uh, that's lovely that Jesus says this, but take my yoke upon you. And some of you are going, he's throwing eggs at us? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me? What's that about? Well, if you go backwards a little bit in the passage, we'll see if we can figure it out by just going backwards some. Beginning at verse 25, Jesus is speaking again. And he says, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and, and learned and revealed them to little children. You want to go, okay, I'm in trouble because I assume most of us here today have some education behind us, which would be different than the ancient world. So we are educated compared to those days. And the wise and learned, something's hidden from the wise and learned, and the children know it. What? What? How can that be? All right, so you've hidden them from the wise and learned. You've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is for what you were pleased to do. I don't get it. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So something, something's being revealed, apparently to little kids, not to the people who have learning. What's all that? And then he goes, come to me, all of you are weary and burdened. And you go, I still don't get it. What's going on? Well, can we back up one more time? Because um, 
I want you to understand, you know, you know, whenever you want to have a grab a hold of what does this passage of scripture mean, it's always helpful to go and look what took place before the passage you're examining. And this is a key to understanding the Bible. Always look at what is taking place before what you're reading, because that will give you some indications to you know, what the biblical author is describing and thinking about, and then you get to your passage. So what's going on? Verse 20, Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had performed because they did not repent. And what did he say? Woe to you, Chorazan. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that have been performed, they knew apparently Jesus had been in those, in those villages performing miracles, and the people are not paying attention. Woe to you. For if the miracles that have been performed in you had been formed in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And if you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? Ah, there's that little village, right? There's the village. Will you, because I've been in your place, will, will this be good for you? No, you will go down to Hades, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in, in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, that would be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What's going on? Again, this is where the discussion about Capernaum and how, what's, what has been excavated there in the last 100 years, where it comes into play. Okay, so Capernaum is the hometown of Peter and Andrew, James and John. And you could say that in the early days of Jesus' ministry, it was indeed the center place of where Jesus did it. Maybe think of it this way, the home office. Does that make sense? This is where I, as Jesus would say, okay, I'm, when I need a place to rest, I'm going to go to Capernaum. When I, when I go out and do the Sermon on the Mount, that's just a few miles away by walking. And so in the early phases of Jesus' ministry career, He's there and he's performing miracles. But for some reason or other, we learn that Jesus' miracles and his ministry, here in the village of Capernaum, they've rejected it. It's his adopted hometown, but they are not recognizing for who he is. The evidence is plain. If you'd only paid attention to the miracles, miracle after miracle, but apparently they were blind to what the possibilities of those miracles meant for humanity, for their village, or it would appear even in their own personal lives. And it's plain, Jesus is perturbed at how the people are not paying attention. Now look again one more time at the photo, and you'll notice that just a little bit down in the photo from that octagon-shaped building, there's a, a white building with white walls. What's that? Well, that is, um, that is about a third-century synagogue that is built on the foundations of a first-century synagogue. Does that make sense? So you have Peter's house, first century, and then you have about 300 feet away to the north in, in, the, in that case, about 300 feet away, you have a synagogue that where both buildings are in the village at the same time. The streets all around both those structures are where Jesus literally walked, and they are central to the life and story of Jesus' mission. The people of, the, of that point, in other words, in the synagogue particularly, they are so close to where Jesus is spending the night. I mean, it wouldn't be, it's not even as far as Pershing Road is away from our building. It's very, very close. It's a block and a half. And yet they're not recognizing Jesus. These people of religion, the synagogue, don't see who he is. It sounds familiar to me. I mean, 
you're here today uh, in both auditoriums sitting in church, right? And that would indicate that for the most part, you're probably fairly religious. And yet you and I as religious people, we could lose sight of the freedom and the miracles that are available in Jesus Christ. It could be right in front of us, but in the meanwhile, our religion can choke us. We could be bound to a false religion at best, or a false tradition at best, or at worst, blinded to the freed spirituality that is offered in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is not happy, frankly. He's perturbed. He's going, I'm right here in front of you. Why aren't you paying attention? So if that's the setting, why is Jesus saying, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the setting of where Jesus is, he said, you're not paying attention, but if you're paying attention, you could come to me, all of you are weary and burdened. I want you to notice that in that statement, those two or three verses, Jesus is, is doing a really cool thing. First of all, he's acknowledging a problem, that there's weary and, the people are weary and burdened. He's then offering a solution, come to me, and then he's describing the results of that solution, rest for your souls. So I want to see if we can at least understand that a little more deeply. So let's start with the problem. Because apparently the people of Jesus' day, they faced the same sort of situations that we face in life. Now, they didn't have technology like we had. They didn't have cars. This is obviously thousands, hundreds of years, almost, you know, 1,800 years before the Industrial Revolution and everything. But... Jesus is saying, I, I know there's a problem in your life. There's too much to do. There are too many tasks. We would say the same. Sometimes there's too much to do. There are too many tasks. There are too many people. There are too many bills. There are too many relational problems. There are too many miles between here and there. There are too many emails. There are too many doctor's visits. I, there, there are too many, too many's. There's too much. Up to here. Does that sound familiar? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Some of you are nodding very vigorously. <laughs> this business of being sick and tired of being sick and tired up to here is not new just to our culture. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. He acknowledges there are people who are weary and burdened. It, that weariness, that burdensome is a common experience that's seen throughout all of history in all of humanity. As a matter of fact, at the very beginning of Scripture, in the Garden of Eden, the original humans, Adam and Eve, God says to them, your sin is going to make you live by the, what? The sweat of your forehead. You're going to have to... Now, we, we enjoy working. We enjoy getting involved in tasks and responsibilities. But sometimes it's overwhelming. And, and God said, because of the way in which you're living, it's going to be... You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And there's been no let up ever since. Every human has moments of great joy, glorious joy. But then all of us also have moments where, man, the struggles of stress are just right in front of us. And that's the problem that Jesus is acknowledging. And he offers a solution. It's a directive solution to stress. He says, come to me. Now the word there, the original Greek language, we won't have time to get into it today, is deute. 
it's an imperative, okay? So I'm not going to unpack everything in, in terms of the Greek, but an imperative means what? An imperative means it's, it's, it's something, it's a command. It's, this is, it's imperative that you do this. It's, it's something that requires a response. In other words, Jesus is saying, in light of your stress, in light of the burdens, in light of your weariness, come to me and do it now. It's an imperative. Come to me, all of you are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Right now, come to me. Don't wait to say, okay, I'll get through the stress, then I'll come, or I'll figure this out. Let me figure a few things out, God. No, it's come to me. It's the point of immediacy. Don't wait, come. You have a problem, I have an answer. You're stressed, you're way too busy, you're weary, come to me, I can solve that. And then, he offers a very interesting solution. I mean, after the solution, a very interesting result of the solution. He says, take my yoke upon you, and you'll find rest for your souls. And that's where it gets a little bit weird. A yoke? Again, read, read the passage again. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. What's that? My yoke is easy and my burden is light? Well, in our world, we don't understand what a yoke is. Here's what a yoke looks like, okay? In the kind of yoke that Jesus was talking about. We know about farming. Yokes were used in farming. We know about farming our day, in our day, but we know nothing about really that sort of equipment. I mean, the equipment of the two oxen there, all right? And they have that yoke put around their necks, over their shoulders, to, and they push against the yoke with their shoulders to pull a cart or a plow, whatever the case. And, and then they work in tandem, two of them together, yoked together, supposedly moving stuff across the earth. And... Uh, you go, Jesus wants me to take that on? That doesn't look peaceful to me, that thing wrapped around my neck. I see that photo and immediately put, I, this is my response. I have no inclination within me to the depths of my soul. I have no inclination within me to put my head in that thing. <laughs> Not at all, right? You think that putting my head in there, I'm going to be less stressed? Mm -mm. It looks demeaning. It looks hard and unforgiving. It's not a device that I want around my shoulders. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, doesn't it look similar to the stocks that prisoners were put in prior to the invention of modern-day handcuffs, right? As a matter of fact, in the, in the ancient languages, the word for yoke and the word for prisoner stocks are very similar. And a yoke was not just for ox, oxen, but sometimes it was put on the shoulders of slaves. And slaves, I mean, you say, Jesus says, take my yoke on you, and I'm going, no thanks. No thanks. That's for slaves, that's for ox. I'd like to live free and clear of all of that, if you don't mind. I, it looks way too stressful. But yoke also had another meaning. That the people who were listening to Jesus understood that kind of gets by us at times. See, on occasions, Jesus would speak about the yoke of the religious leaders and the religious people of his day. Okay, so you've got Peter's house. Just a few feet away, you've got the synagogue, right? And Jesus is speaking about the yoke of the religion that the people in the synagogue push unto others. The Pharisees. It's, it's, it, he would often speak about how they would place heavy things on people. Like, for example, in Matthew chapter 23, he says... They, the religious leaders, they tie up heavy 
cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. In other words, as people are listening to Jesus, yes, a yoke is put on working cattle, but it's also a metaphor for any burden or bondage. And so Jesus' listeners, as they're hearing this, they have a better understanding of it than we do in our modern world. They understand the agricultural setting, but they also realize that, hey, we've got these religious leaders who are imposing rules on us that are often unattainable. And Jesus comes along and says, my, my religion, my faith is not like that. It's not heavy. My burden is light. See, in reality, friends, if you want to talk about Jesus, you can't start with religion. You have to start with the aspect of relationship. You can't talk about rules and regulations. I mean, you might have to in the long run, but you have to start with relationships. And it's my observation, this is where the church, capital C, has really messed up, and we've convoluted Jesus' message, particularly in the present culture. Too often we've got it backwards. We've pushed religion before we emphasize the importance of knowing and following Jesus. And it's playing out in people's lives today. People don't want a lot to do with religion anymore. The Public Religion Research Institute, at the beginning of 2017, interviewed 2,000 adults across the U.S. asking them, tell us about your religion, tell us about your spirituality. And it's quite clear the two things do not meet in the minds of many of these people. One in five Americans, 18% of Americans, identify themselves as being spiritual, but not religious. I'm deeply spiritual, but nothing to do with the church. Does that sound familiar to the people you know, maybe in your neighborhood, at work, or at school? For example, Dane Gore, a man who grew up in an evangelical home where the things that we talk about here were, were emphasized, okay? He lives in Arizona. He's left it all behind. He's an artist. He says that he's replaced, he's let art replace his approach to organized religion because he thought organized religion was obtuse and hopelessly convoluted, is the language he used. He said, I find religious meaning now in creating powerful art. He's a um, puppeteer, as a matter of fact. Ceremonies to me, he said, have now become my puppet shows. All of these things are the closest I get to a religious experience these days. Making art, making art and puppetry are my transcendent moments. And I want to go, on the one hand, how tragic, and yet on the other hand, what have we done as Christians to Jesus' yoke and message have religious people like you and me put unreasonable yokes on the shoulders of people so they just want nothing to do with us? Or certainly nothing to do with the church? For example, if I can be really candid, um, some people outside the church, many people outside the church, and even some people inside the church, would uh, suggest that the church, capital C again, is out of touch and irrelevant in our present culture when it comes to lifestyle choices that people make. It's seen in a variety of different ways. It's seen particularly of late in our biblical approaches to sexuality, heterosexual and all other forms. For, for some time, the church has simply said, don't do it, wait till marriage. Does that work? Did it work in the past? Does it work now? Now, hear me very clearly. Can we very clearly please? I believe that the scriptures call us to that kind of approach. I believe that language is a truism that's based in the Bible. 
Jesus followers, people like you and me, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to abide by biblical axioms. And there are some biblical lifestyles that are not negotiable. In, but it's not just in areas of sexuality. We have to address a number of issues. We have to address the issues of greed and power and gossip and laziness and gluttony and sexuality. But as we address those issues, have we or are we communicating those biblical lifestyle opportunities and choices to live as God would call us to live? Are we, are we communicating those biblical lifestyle choices in the language and actions of a grace-giving, forgiving, love-extending God? Are we doing that well? Or have we only communicated rules and regulations? And if that's all we've done, are we any different than the religious leaders of Jesus' day who are standing real close to him but are not really paying attention? Have we demonstrated Jesus' easy yoke and light burden? I wonder. So, that's in the background to this whole passage. May I remind you, in the passage that we have Jesus say, there's a problem that we have people stressed in life, stress and weariness, and I'm offering you a solution, come. And then we also see the results of Jesus' solution to stress. We have rest for souls. Now, part of my job description as the pastor of this church is to offer that result to you today. You know, I, I'm called to do a lot of different things in the life of our church. Sometimes I'm called uh, to the church or to you personally to uh, describe biblically instructed or biblically influenced behavior and to call you to that. There are days when I'm called to pray with you. There are days when I'm called to offer challenges to you. But today, I have a different calling. And that is, I'm calling you to come and be gone, done with stress. See, our purpose in putting this series together called Be Still right before the uh, Christmas holidays was just to say, can we help you get some arms around the stress that's coming your way and get you to have just a few moments of stillness and be aware of how God in Jesus Christ wants to effectively deal with that stillness? See, Jesus spoke to people who have been burdened not only with the stress of life's chores, but also of a religion that placed demands on, on their lifestyles. And Jesus said, I have a different yoke. I have a yoke of me joining with you, not driving you. It's not like Jesus is behind the cattle with a whip going like this. No. Jesus is saying, my yoke, I'm putting the yoke on me. Come with me, walk with me. So, how are we going to help you experience that today? I'm inviting you to come to Jesus. Jesus says, all of you are weary and burdened, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. You're weary and burdened, come, you'll find rest for your souls. So, how's that going to do? Well, how are we going to do that? Well, in the context of this worship service today, in both auditoriums, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have a few moments of quietness in the building, in both rooms, okay? And so, if you need to go to the bathroom, this would be a really good time to go because when we do the quietness, everybody would know you're going to leave, okay? So, if you need to go somewhere right now, do it now. We're all going to watch you. No, no, no. <laughs> My point is, we're going to, we, as a congregation at First Christian, we don't always do stillness very well. We, we're a fast-paced, moving group. 
But we're going to have a few moments of dead quiet in both auditoriums, all right? And uh, in that period of time, I want you to hear Jesus' voice deep within you saying, I'll join with you. My yoke is going to be joined to your shoulders. I'll take the weight. I'll take the stress. I'll bear the burden. My yoke has two places, not one, but two places, one for you and one for me, and we work together. And then after a few minutes of silence, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, the worship teams in both rooms are going to come and lead us through a time of ongoing prayer. And uh, you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel. For some of you, maybe if you're able, you maybe need to kneel right at, the, right at the pew or the seat where you are and just say, God, I got this stress stuff going on. And, I want, and maybe, maybe for some it's the case that as you're sitting, you simply put your hands on, on your knees and this sort of thing. God, I... There's a lot in front of me this week. I'm giving it all to you. Or if you want to be so bold, when they're, they're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. Maybe for some of you it simply is a case. You want to come and be, you want to stand or you want to sit. You want to kneel right at the front of the room and say, God, I'm making an intentional move. I want you to be aware, God, that I'm leaving this with you. So we're going to work our way. We, we, we don't have the next... 10, 15 minutes scripted, okay? It's, we're going to sing, we're going to see what God does in our lives together, and we're going to have this kind of posture. You said come. I'm coming, God. And uh, as we do so, may I suggest that as we pray and as we think and as we just... God wants to work in your life today. I'm absolutely convinced of that. With each breath out, breathe out, get rid of the stress. Say, God, it's all yours. Big breaths out, big breaths in. I'm breathing in the peace and the quiet of Christ Almighty. Let's see what God does in our lives together in both auditoriums. Let's take a, a moment of silence. If you want to kneel, you're welcome to do that. If you want to stand, you're welcome to do that. If you want to do this, We'll leave it with you and we'll see how we do together. See what God does in our lives in the next little while. Lord, in our fast-paced world, moments of stillness are far few in between. It's like the quiet is almost deafening, Lord. I pray for my friends gathered here today, Lord. 
Each one of us needs to know of the peace of Christ within our lives. For some of us who walk with you, God, uh, we need to be reminded. For others, perhaps they've never stepped into a relationship with you through Christ. All of us, God, we're so thankful for the forgiveness of sins that's available through Jesus, but we also pray, God, that we would find rest for our souls in the midst of our busy days. We want to lean into you, Lord, with some heaviness. We want to lean into you fully and say, we release to you the issues of last week. We release to you the, wow, the stuff that's in front of us this week. We release to you, Lord, the decisions that we have about Thanksgiving and what to buy for whom come Christmas and Black Friday sales and just the stuff, God, the, the challenges in front of us. We would today like to practice in anticipation of what, how we'll live our lives in the weeks ahead. We'd like to practice being still. We come to you today. We come to your altar, God. We kneel, we take postures of prayer, and I guess, Lord, we take postures of submission, asking that, yes, indeed, you would forgive us of our sins, but beyond that, Lord, would you place the peace of Christ within us? May it guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.